It's Divas That Care Radio. Stories, strategies, and ideas to inspire positive change. Welcome to Divas That Care, a network of women committed to making our world a better place for everyone. This is a global movement for women, by women, engaged in a collaborative effort to create a better world for future generations. To find out more about the movement, visit divasthatcare.com after the show. Right now, though, stay tuned for another jolt of inspiration. Welcome, everyone, to the Divas That Care Network. I'm your host, Amy McKenzie. Today's show, The Wow of Women, features the remarkable journeys of women whose powerful and extraordinary choices positively impact other people's lives. I am so honored and excited to introduce our guest, whom I just love, Joe Barry is an incredible human being. You're going to, you're, I think, going to be very inspired. But let me tell you a little bit about her before we bring her over. Uh, Joe Barry, she's an inspiring speaker, and she works to resolve conflicts around the world. Sixteen years after her own father was killed by an IRA bomb, Joe met the man responsible, Pat McGee. Now, this initial three-hour meeting led to them speaking on over 300 occasions on a shared platform around the world. Their incredibly unusual relationship has been told in the BBC documentary, Facing the Enemy, the title of this show, and was featured in the film Beyond Right and Wrong. The founder of the charity, Building Bridges for Peace, if you're familiar with that organization, they do incredible work. Joe advocates that unbounded empathy is the biggest weapon we have to end conflict. It's so beautiful. With political, religious, and racial divides deepening as global and local events unfold, her words offer us a message of hope and encourage us all to see the humanity in others. Now, Joe is frequently invited to address international conferences and seminars on themes of humanitarian aid, conflict resolution, and human rights. She has worked in areas of conflict including Lebanon, Rwanda, India, Ireland, Palestine, Israel, and throughout the U.K., as well as spoken in venues there, uh, joined panels and discussions and forums on radio and television. Over the last years, Joe has developed workshops in schools and with youth groups on topics of conflict transformation, storytelling, becoming positive change makers, and challenging violent extremism. She's also a TEDx speaker and a visiting fellow with the University of Nottingham in, focused in the area of rights and justice. And she's also trained as a restorative justice facilitator, is an advocate for restorative justice around the country, and is now currently busy writing a book. Joe, we almost don't have time for the show. Your resume is so incredible. I'm so glad you're joining us. Thank you and welcome. It's great to have you here. Oh, thank you. That's a wonderful, warm welcome. Well, you know, you're just up to so much, and our intent with the show is, is to inspire to move people into a a direction maybe they hadn't thought they were capable of, to realize that one person literally can move mountains when their intention is clear. Um, And you've certainly got your pickaxe out there and are digging away at some of the biggest issues that we have. And I I just kind of want to start off, you know, helping us uh, and our listeners understand, you know, what when you look at the cause of all of that that's most dear to you, what difference that you are committed to making? What drives you, Joe? What drives me is is still the moment. Um, two days after my father was killed when I was 27, and I, that's when I made a decision. 
I am going to bring something positive out of this. I'm going to find a way to transform my pain into working for peace, and I'm not going to have an enemy. And that intention was a step without a map, with no idea what to do. But by saying that, that's, that's still true. You know, I still want to create something positive every single day. And so my focus has changed, and my understanding about the enemy has changed. You know, I still want to be part of a world where we have no enemy. So powerful. And I can't believe in the, in the midst of you know, the height of grief to make that decision, to put an end to it, beginning with yourself, is incredibly powerful and so moving. Um, you know, I will not have an enemy. Uh, I just, it should be plastered all over where everyone can see it every day. What an incredible commitment. Um, so now given that, um, it's pretty obvious what, what caused you to start. Um, I'm not quite sure how you had the presence of mind to make that determination at that point. But in this process, um, you know, what for you has been what directed you specifically to what you're doing now? Like there's a lead us through how you went from making that decision to the next step in putting it in action. Yeah. Well, there are just so many steps and so many miracles that happened. And one of them was just a few months afterwards when I ended up sharing a taxi with a complete stranger um, in London. And we were both going to the same place and we shared a taxi and um I knew from his accent that he came from Northern Ireland and the IRA, um, they came from Northern Ireland. So I said to him, oh, I'm wondering if you can help me. I, I'm looking to understand why someone would join the IRA. I, I said, there's a bit of an odd question. Can you help? And he said, oh, no, that's, that's not strange at all. My brother was in the IRA and he was killed last year by a British soldier. So for those of you that mm. don't know the, the conflict, we came from different sides. We should have been enemies. This is at the height of the conflict when there's people being killed every day. Um, and yet we spoke of a world where peace was possible. And even though no one knew I'd done that, I felt like I built a bridge, my first bridge. And the idea of building a bridge grew from there. And it was only after we had the peace process that the biggest bridge became evident that I could build, which was with Patrick McGee, the man who planted the bomb that killed my father, and he came out of prison, was part of the stipulations of the peace process. And I thought, well, if I could sit with him and see him as a human being and hear his story, that will help me regain something I lost in the bomb. And I had very little expectation um, because I met other men who were in the IRA, and, and I and I thought, well, he's not going to, He's not going to um, come to apologize um, because they feel they were, they were right in using violence. You know, they were the oppressed. They had no other choice. Um, so I wasn't going to get an apology. I was just going to really look into his eyes and, and just see some humanity. And it took, took a few months to organize. <laughs> and then yeah. I suddenly got a phone call to say that he would meet me. And that was terrifying. Absolutely yeah, well, because all these years I hadn't wanted to blame him or make him wrong and me right, but it's quite another thing to be in the same room. And I did it with no, yeah. no support, no one, you know, no one there. It wasn't like 
how I facilitate restorative processes now. I was on my own, getting on a boat to cross the Irish Sea to go and meet him. And I felt completely out of my depth. But I was just driven. It was like there was part of me that just thought, I need this for me. It wasn't to change him, it was to change myself. And that's what got me mm. um, from the from the ferry to to this house in Dublin in Ireland where um we had this three hour most extraordinary conversation, you know, I, I've ever had. Shall I share a little bit about why it was so extraordinary? <laughs> Yeah, my next question was, you know, you had an idea of what you were going there to get for yourself. Was it that? or what? So it sounds like it was more than that. Please do share. No, it was more than that, because I think the first hour and a half, I got what I wanted. And um, he did come with a lot of political justification. But I was curious, you know, I wasn't so interested in the political reasons. I knew them, um, but I was much more interested in, in how he felt and what what was beneath the rhetoric. So I asked lots of questions and um, I also shared the impact on me and shared a bit about my dad, but he stayed, he stayed justifying with, a, with some sensitivity, but justifying. But I do remember looking into his eyes and seeing that he, he cared for his community and for him joining the IRA was a response to protect his community. Now, I, I don't believe violence ever protects anyone and I'm against it, but, but I could see that he had that compassion for his community. So I thought, I'm going to go now. I've got what I want. No one needs ever know I met him. Like, no one. Because this is just my personal right. <laughs> And that was easy. I'm just going to go. Um, and then that's when he changed. And he would later say that yeah. he was disarmed by my empathy. Which is an interesting word. Uh, yes. <laughs> he changed. You know, and he started his journey. And, I mean, wow, seems, that's so incredible Because you weren't there blaming him So he had the space to look And see what was there for him You didn't have anything in the way Good for you Exactly. He got to look then Exactly wow. And he said if I'd gone in there blaming him He would have stayed um, Basically justifying you know. um, Of course I didn't know mm-hmm. all that At the time you know, I was just like doing whatever I needed to do Um so then he changed, and I, this still seems odd to me, but it is, I understand this, is that when, when he planted that bomb, and that's true for anyone who uses violence, they demonize those they want to hurt, like they're not seeing them as human beings. That's part of the process mm. of using violence, you know, and, and in a way we all do it a little, a little bit when we blame anyone, we make them less than, less than ourselves, but obviously for him that was a huge demonization when he planted that bomb he saw nobody in the building there was just a it was it was just a strategy and now uh-huh. he begins to see my dad as a real human being he begins to see that he was special and he knows a little bit about him and he's now a human being he's now he's now a human being who he's killed and so he's realizing he's lost some of his humanity by using violence so he he arrived with no problems, like he was fine, I was the one who had the problem. And he left realizing that he had a lot to resolve inside himself. Wow. And has he done that through this process? I don't know how you could not after speaking on this for three, 300 occasions. Um, that process alone, I would think, would 
you know, take you front to back on that whole issue. You'd have to become resolved, I would think, on whatever level you are able to. Yeah. Well, so yeah. Would, you seem, would you say? Sorry. Your last words are correct on whatever level you're able to. So he's still on that journey. He hasn't resolved everything. As much as I've loved him to, mm-hmm. he's still resolving it. You know, but that's that's his journey that he's on and, and he's I would and sometimes I wish he would move faster, but that's not you know, that wouldn't be healthy to me. It's about um being true to myself and being present to him, you know, sometimes challenging him and but it's about he's about his journey and I I recognise that he's on a, he's on a difficult journey. I I do believe that when you actually use violence like he did, very very hard to completely heal from that. Right. Well, and it's certainly hard on your end, but it, it's I mean it's clear that you t- made the decision that you would heal and you would find a way to have it be something that you know it's not for naught that you really did take it to a place of service. Um, and looking to see how transforming that pain could then benefit another and possibly even eradicate that kind of thinking, that best-case scenario. Um, and you've made a lot of ground with that. Talk to us a little bit about, um, you know, the, some of the, the entities that you've worked with and what this process has been like as you've, you know, in other words, from the first time that you guys spoke on stage, and people can obviously look up and, and, and watch some of this, but just, you know, just to give a sense of what is it that you are, how are you going about it? Uh, is he sharing his point of view from that time period? Um, you know, is it a kind of a back and forth of opinions or are you sharing the resolution aspect? Um, yeah, when we speak together, we, we have a very brief conversation of who's going to go first and that's all we really prepare. Um, it's usually me. <laughs> and then if there's time, we go back and forth twice each. And then we open it up for questions and responses, which is the bit we, we both particularly like. And um, that can go anywhere, you know, the, the questions and the responses, depending on where we are. And we got the whole range. You know, we have, sometimes we have people who um, just want to attack him or even attack me, and, and it can be very difficult. Other times, it's incredibly moving. Hmm. People bring it into their own lives. And we aren't there when we're working together, which I have to say, we're not doing a lot anymore. It's it's very, very infrequent. But when we do do it, we're not there to say, prescribe any solutions at all. We're sharing what's worked for us, our story, with the challenges. We're both very open. He's he's learned to be really open most of the time with um, his answers. And then people they take that into their own lives. And I remember when um, there was an incredible peace conference in, in Sarajevo quite a few years ago. And it was like a little workshop. There's a lot of time for interaction. We have people there from around the world. And there was a, a guy from Mexico. Now, Mexico, they have, um, it's a huge, it's like a drugs war there and corruption. But but there's a lot, there's a lot of violence, a lot of suffering with the young people. It's a big problem there. And this guy who I hadn't met before, he came up to me and he said, Joe, I just want you to know, I now know what is possible and I'm going to take this into every meeting I have, every every conference, every communication, because now I know what is possible. And he'd actually then um, arranged two years later for me and Pat to go to Mexico and, and to do a, um, loads of talks. Unfortunately, 
um, Pat couldn't get there because the USA government stopped him going for, I don't quite understand why he wasn't allowed, but I went. You know, and when people say, I now know what's possible, what I receive from that is an incredible sense that it's empowering people to do what they need to do. You know, it's empowering them to take the steps to have a vision. And, you know, that really means so much to me because I really believe people change because they they're choosing to, you know, I'm not saying do these five things, you know, and then your life's going to be better. People take the step that they need to take. And I'm there with support and with solidarity. And when I'm giving my talks, I move to being a facilitator quite quickly when I finish talking and I'm there to listen to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really stunning to me. Um, I have no enemy. The idea of, walking into a conflict with that, proceeding with that, um, whether or not it resolves the people in the room, it certainly puts you in a position to hold center as a facilitator, uh, even if that's not your official role. It's, um, I think, without question, impacting the space in a positive way, um, that there is some neutral ground somewhere present. Uh, So I can imagine that that has... And then, of course, when you're in the speaking role, to be able to really forward that thinking um, doesn't surprise me a bit that people would really have um, revelatory experiences out of that if they've not gotten clear what the first step is, which you intuitively discovered, determinedly discovered within days of your father passing, um, to not let that be your story. And it's, it's absolutely right. People have to choose, this is not my story. I will have no enemies. Um, and to choose empathy, like, when you're in a quote-unquote sort of victim situation, no, it wasn't you directly, it certainly impacted you. You're a victim of that crime. Um, and, you know, to choose empathy at that point, um, I love that you make that your, your raison d'etre in a sense, right? That that's your leading sentence, your leading concept is if we could approach everything with that, I think you're absolutely right. And I love the way you say it. Um, you, you had said it earlier uh, about empathy. It's, it's, it puts you right in that moment of, I have to decide now which way I'm going to, who I'm going to be about this. And I could see where that has many, many impacts. Um, now, let's talk a little bit about building bridges for peace um, because that is that's really how you've taken the action out into the world beyond your speaking engagements. When did that inspiration come to form that charity and how is that moving forward in the world now? I think we became a charity in, in 2008 or nine. Um, but it's, it's a very, very tiny charity. It is, it is really about the work I do with a few trustees and, um, the work that I'm most proud of that I've done the last few years, I've done, I mean, I've been to many different countries around the world, but actually the deepest work I feel I've done is very much with um, young people in schools in, in Tower Hamlets, which is part of London, um, which has lots of challenges. There's a lot of poverty. Um, it's very, very high Muslim. And um, a, lot, a lot of young people who I work with have all experienced racism and and being attacked verbally, physically. Um, so mm. they have their challenging stories, you know, and um, I got into a whole lot of schools, which is actually quite hard to do as someone who doesn't live in the area. 
and some of these some of I call them my my girls that they're they're they just did this incredible work to be positive change makers and some of the feedback I got and in a way it's it's quite sad it's also very touching it's this is the first time as a Muslim as an Asian Muslim girl I've been listened to by a white person and not just listened to but respected and valued and there's a trust that um, they seem to feel when I when I give my story and I and I facilitate them that I don't have to talk about it, it's just um, there and out, and out of that they open up and they share and I just listen I just listen to the impact of of the racism they have the what they feel their stories their dreams their hopes and then support them in being positive change makers so there are some skills that I can help them with but actually it's, it's really just about for them and I think this idea of a safe space is really important and that we can give that to each other safe space for people to share what whatever they're they're going through without feeling judged or feeling that they're going to be given solutions just a safe space mm-hmm. well and the idea that you know listening to the person who's hurt you just that concept is it's so foreign to you know our cultures and around the world, whatever your culture, are, are, are really our group consciousness um, <clears throat> because it's pervasive. And I think that would be incredibly impactive. It's wonderful that you're re- reaching the youth because if we can begin to turn around the concept that listening to someone's pain may give you a new perspective, you know, is uh, very powerful. And you're in the ideal position to be a spokesman for that. If anyone was going to choose not to listen to the person who caused them pain, um, you would certainly be in a position to be righteous about that, given the circumstances. So it's it's pretty hard to argue with that. It kind of almost has you have to listen and consider, because if you could do it in the thing, that's why it's so powerful. Then I might consider doing it for the person who just hurt my feelings, <laughs> or took my parking spot, or right. Yeah. cut me off in traffic, right? And you begin to apply it to these smaller things. You know, you've given us a, a wonderful measuring stick is what I want to say. I say, well, gosh, if Joe can do it in that situation, I could certainly think twice about the fact that this guy cut me off because he's about to lose his job maybe mm-hmm. or, right, whatever, that we don't extend the benefit of the doubt to people ever, and hardly ever that I see. Um, we're always jumping with the judgment, and you mentioned judgment, and that starts so early. Uh, children are notorious for being pretty vapid, judgmentally individuals, you know, and that's incredible if you're reaching them, and I'm sure it's because of the power of your story and that you have the courage to tell it, which is so beautiful. I just I thank you so much for your work and what you're doing, and um, no surprise, you've been a speaker on TEDx. This is, um, we need to Every platform in the world benefits from getting that mindset that it's really inarguable coming from your vantage point. It's incredibly powerful. And now I know that there are people that might be really in the throes themselves right now. Whatever point they're at in dealing with an aggressor or uh, some kind of situation that's caused them to be so fundamentally uh, hurt that it's it's impacting their choices in their life. Maybe they're pulling back out of life. Um, I know that you, you've created, obviously, you know, the building bridges. But for individuals, is there a way that they can 
connect with you or continue to be inspired by the work that you're doing, Joe? Um, yeah, I'm, d- I'm doing a lot of one-to-one work at the moment with people who are going through um, conflict in their own life. Um, so pe- people, please you know, do get in touch if anyone would be interested. Um, and I think the thing to remember is that um, when people hurt us, um, I think we have a choice. You know, we can, e- we can either take our power back and go, okay, I've been hurt, I, ha- I have a grievance, you know, this, this is not okay, but I'm not going to give my power to them a second time by making them making them the baddie in my head because I think that delays mm. healing to so take our power back and go okay what can I do to heal what do I need right now is a really important question what do I need could be you know I need a cushion from my anger to bash the cushion it might be you know I need someone to keep me safe while I, while I escape you know it might might be I need a friend so I can rant rant to in a safe way so what do i need right now is so so important and the other part of it is that if we're not going to blame people and make them wrong and us right sometimes we need to address the fact that um, their behavior is impacted on us sometimes we might need to challenge them and how can we communicate our pain and our distress in such a way that the other person will hear it and they'll choose to mm, right. do something. And that's that. I'm, I'm actually creating workshops on this online because I think it's a really interesting area, and it's something that um, we're all learning about. You know, like we all know how to blame someone and shame them and make them guilt trip them. You know, I'm very good at that. But how do we actually <laughs> communicate? How do we communicate um, the fact that what you just did had an impact on me? which still allows you your dignity and your truth, but you know, but you begin to know the impact on, on what you did. So you don't feel shamed, but that you know. And, and, I, and that's something that I'm, re- I'm really wanting to explore um, sort of moving on with my work. So I'm going to, because a lot of my work has been cancelled. Uh, in fact, everything has. I've just got sure, another right. today. Yeah. So I'm kind of like starting off again going, okay, what can I do online? So I'm devising these workshops, which will be about having a difficult conversation with, and also about how can we transform conflict? Cause I think I can do that online now. Mm-hmm. I love that. So it's really, it's like the second half of the conversation. If we're starting with learning to listen, being available to hear uh, from the person who hurt us and then the flip side of that, the other half of that conversation is, and now how do I powerfully, respectfully, and effectively then communicate the impact without the conversation shutting down and experience being heard while that person is still known and heard as well? And that, it, yeah, I could see that's really wonderful um, that there's been an interruption in a sense, not for those who've been, you know, obviously grievously impacted, but but for for that time out to be able to say, okay, what's the other side of this coin? And I think you've been doing it in your work probably already, but the fact that you're creating workshops um, to really kind of give us a step-by-step process for that is wonderful. I'm signing up. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) That's terrific. Yeah. And I'm thrilled that you're writing a book. Um, definitely keep well we'll have to have you back if you if you'll come back and join us when you've got the book published and we'll have it on our Divas that care online bookstore and uh, and maybe we can talk about that because um, I know that if this is 
such a powerful story, Joe. It's um, it would be wonderful to to see that. I look forward to that. Any idea when you might publish? Um, I don't know. I'm still writing it, and um, I, okay, I no pressure. <laughs> no, no. I just wish I finished it. It's, it's hard at the moment because I'm not. I, I wish I was further ahead. So I'm having to do some letting go of my own sort of judgments on myself with this. Speaking of which, right? <laughs> well, I love what you said about that too. Um, just take your power back, um, and that just leaves me. I can't believe we're almost out of time. Um, that this is just not even nearly enough. But I, I just so grateful for your time. We leave us with, you know, any parting thoughts for our listeners, uh, although you've already given us so many jewels. Is there anything you'd like to say before we close out the show? Uh, well, something that I've just re- reminded myself, because I just noticed I was being a bit hard on myself, you know, and I think that's so easy for us to, to just always think we should be doing better um, and having that, that judge on our shoulder. And I would just say, be really gentle with yourselves. Remember, we're always doing our best. And I think self-forgiveness can be the hardest thing. So let's always know that, that we are doing our best and, and really let, let that voice grow in you that can give yourself support, self-empathy, because it does start with ourselves and be able to be really kind and gentle, especially when we put ourselves out there and take risks and then that judge can be even harder. So always remember, you know, be kind and gentle and empathic with yourself. You are always doing your best. Uh, always doing your best. That's beautiful. And right, how can we be empathetic to another if we're not to ourselves? Joe, I can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your busy life to share your story with us. Thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you. It's been brilliant. I think you know all this. I think you're, you're exceptionally wise, and I and I sense that that this is all for you. Your kind of your daily work that you do. Well, we love making a difference, and, and, you know, I just I want to thank our listeners, our producer. Thank you all for joining us. Um, this is a platform for sharing our voice, and we invite you to join us. Add your voice to the conversation. Visit divaswithterror.com and, you know, find more inspiring stories like this. We look forward to talking to you again, closing off for this session. Thanks, everyone. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening. This show was brought to you by Divas That Care. Connect with us on Facebook, on Instagram, and of course on divasthatcare.com where you can subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss a thing.